Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jessie theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created LaJoy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello, everyone. So today, I have Teresa King with me, and she's going to share some amazing stories of hardships and rough moments and where she went with those and, you know, how that changed her life in so many different ways. Um, so I'd like to welcome Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be here today. And I thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know what it's like to take time, you know, away from being a mom and, you know, professional working and all the time and during the week. So I really do appreciate when people sit down. So one, if you want to get us started to tell us um, those things I was just mentioning, like what is there to know about you, the stats, you know, what's on the back of your baseball card? <laughs> <laughs> I am an attorney by trade. Mm -hmm. And uh, the most important job that I have is being a mommy. I have a little boy who is 15 months old. And mm -hmm. um, my husband and I've been married for eight years. He actually quit his job earlier this year at a large corporation to come and work as the office manager at my law firm. So, oh, very exciting. Yeah, we are living the entrepreneurial life. I've been uh. in business for three years and each year it gets a little bit easier, um, but also each year brings new challenges. Yes. Um, how big, uh, can I ask, like how big of a law firm do you have? Well, I'm a sole practitioner. I practice okay. um, criminal defense and okay. um to date, I have not met anybody that I trust enough to partner with in law. I got it. Yeah. So it's just my husband and me running the business. We do have a part-time secretary. And um, I try to keep my caseload minimal so that I can give attention to each client and not be overwhelmed. Yeah. There's like a, a ratio, I imagine, of like how much time, how many cases and all that. Exactly. That's, ex that's exciting. I know um, my husband and I are also entrepreneurs. It's a whole nother level to being married, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. And it's been uh, nine months. We're still navigating it. Good. You know, it, it, there's struggles. You know, my only <laughs> recommendation is keep boundaries secure, you know, make sure yeah. you have time that you're not talking about work. <laughs> and to keep talking about it, you know, yeah. communication mm -hmm. is definitely key at home and at work. Yes, for sure. For sure. So um, let's Get started. You know, I had asked people um, when we're talking about their interview, if there was moments that you had that, you know, were just kind of overwhelming, became obvious that something had to change, you know, or sometimes they're forced upon you. You know, sometimes it can be a really unfortunate circumstance that happens. But a lot of times it's kind of the slow drip that becomes a puddle that can no longer, you know, be ignored or and you kind of got to start mopping it up. So I know you've had a couple of them, It's probably like personally, professionally, you know, but um, is there one that stands out that you'd like to share with us? And then we can kind of go back maybe and, and talk about the backstory of what led to that moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I remember a defining moment in 2015 
where my boss actually told me um, not to do something that I knew was the right thing to do. And at that time, I decided I, I need to be my own boss so I can make these decisions um, and do the right thing on behalf of my clients. Wow, that's a huge. It so was what huge. happened? <laughs> can you talk um, about, I don't know if it's legal, you know, like, what, can course, you talk about course. in general terms? <laughs> I don't want to break any, you know, thing we shouldn't. I won't give you the names of the people okay, involved, yeah. <laughs> but I can definitely tell you the story. Um, so practicing criminal defense, oftentimes our clients come into jail either intoxicated or um, they're not on mental health medication. You can imagine they're not always well behaved when they see a judge. On this particular day, my client uh, mouthed off to the judge. The judge found him in contempt and sentenced him to um, 18 months in jail, essentially. Each time he said a bad word, the judge sentenced him to six months and it turned out to six months on top of six months on top of six months. It was 18 months. And this person wasn't um, given the opportunity to explain himself or be represented by a lawyer. And the law actually provides that if you're going to hold somebody in contempt, they are entitled to have a contempt hearing and to be represented throughout that. So when the judge sentenced him to these 18 months without the opportunity for a hearing, I wanted to challenge that. And the way that you challenge a sitting judge is you take it up to a higher court. The court of appeal um, has what's called a writ, um, a writ filing to the court of appeal can undo a judge's decision. So I prepared all the paperwork to file the writ to challenge this judge's decision. And my boss actually gave me the okay, go ahead and file it. That's the right thing to do. You know, give this guy his day in court. And um Unfortunately, when I was at the post office ready to file the writ, which mm -hmm. as you can imagine, it's it's hundreds of pages. You have to do eight different copies and serve it to everybody involved. It was a lot of work, a lot of writing and a lot of preparation. As I was at the post office in line to send the hard copy of the writ, the boss texted me, do not file writ. In all caps, do not file writ. And then he said, I'll explain later. So I'd already dropped off the courtesy copy to the district attorney's office. I had already given the judge my notice that I wanted to file this writ application. And I thought, I, I, can't, I can't go back. This isn't right. Mm -hmm. But I also needed to keep my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I walked back to the courthouse and I hand delivered um, the document to the judge. <clears throat> I expected his staff to just accept the copy, but he opened the door and said, come on in, Miss King. <laughs> and when I went in, I was um, berated, talked down to, told, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You're burning bridges. Are you sure you want to do this? You know, young lady this and young lady that. And I sat there respectfully listening to him. And ultimately, at the end of the conversation, he said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yes, like I haven't changed my mind. He said, you just don't get it. So we agreed to disagree and we parted ways. When I got back to the office, my boss said, um, I, I called the judge and the judge said he's going to uh, resentence that guy to a lesser sentence. So you don't need to file the writ. Ooh. So the, the boss kind of took it in his own hands to um, talk to the judge and 
he's the boss. He writes the checks. And I can't necessarily um, go over his head to do the right thing. And that's the moment that I decided I need to have my own law firm where I can follow the principles that I believe in. And um, that's what I did a year later. I opened my law firm. Wow. This is a lot, you know, I imagined that, oh gosh, I mean, okay, I want to back up. (laughs) So were you in the courtroom when this person was sentenced to the 18 months consecutively? Yes. Were you there? You were his or her, you were their lawyer. Interestingly, it was a first court appearance. So he had just been arrested and he was appearing. Okay. He had Mm -hmm. not been appointed a lawyer yet. Okay. But I was the appointed lawyer who was sitting in watching. Okay. Like you were just in the courtroom. Right. But you hadn't been assigned to him yet. Unfortunately, in these initial proceedings, when somebody is arrested, the proceedings Uh are not recorded. There is not a court reporter and uh, there would have been no proof of the expletives that he was accused of of launching at the judge. Right. And so normally... of a judge in bad behavior, provoking someone in that way. Right, right. Wow, this I I love learning about this sort of stuff. As you can tell, I'm like, hold on, I got to go back for my own personal like um, understanding of how this all works. So then you just happened to be there, and so then did you contact this person of like, hey, I can you know help you in this. This didn't go down right. Yes, so I went down okay. to the jail to visit with him to let him know you know, um, whether you understand what's going on or not, the judge has sentenced you to 18 months in the parish jail. And the judge actually specifically said day for day, hour for hour, meaning no early release. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I had no idea that that, I mean, I guess what you're saying is that's not supposed to be how it goes. It shouldn't be how it goes. So no, I guess now that I got the nuts and bolts (laughs) out of the way, I, I can completely understand the feeling of, you know, there was, um, what you had decided that you would agree to professionally, you know, was being undercut by working for someone else. So how it took you a year, you said to open your own practice. How long did you stay? How big were you in a large practice when this happened? I was actually working for the public defender's office. So it's um, parish wide in Louisiana. We have parishes instead of counties. So um, we have a parish-wide office that represents all of the indigent clients, the people that cannot afford a lawyer. So there were Mm -hmm. about 10 lawyers in the firm and then Mm -hmm. um, one boss. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it wasn't, you know, two or three. It was quite a, it's a pretty, that seems large for, I mean, the parish that you live in is about, I looked it up, is about 30,000 people. And I, yeah, <laughs> um, that's about the town that I grew up in. So I know it's, you know, um, 10 is quite a sizable office. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> these are my basics. I'd love to, I'd love to understand. Thank you for amusing me. <laughs> oh, it's no problem. So, yes. So did you have any, um, I guess one more question about this subject. Did you have any experience in, you know, a business? Like, did you, I don't know, run a lemonade stand or something like was, was business all completely new to you? It was very new. I had only worked um, in law school and undergrad for restaurants. I was a waitress. I was a bartender Uh and uh, Uh did not know the first thing about opening a business. Right. Oh, man. I bet you've learned a lot over the last few years then. For sure. (laughs) Right. And I, gosh, as a lawyer, 
there's so much actual work to be done with your cases. And I know running any sort of business, there's bill pay, there's, you know, a website, there's all this other stuff, like a, a burden of work seems huge. So let's go back. So personally, um, what was happening? What was there something happening in your life? Um, sim at the similar time, you know, I read, um, about sobriety. Uh, what, what else did you have? Um, I believe that you, uh, you wrote about going to therapy and I also wrote about going to therapy and how, you know, we have a perception of what therapy is before we go to it. Right. And think yeah. that it's not for us. Yeah. So do you want to dive into, you know, some personal stuff? Of course. Cause um, usually I, it goes, it usually corresponds to professional stuff as well. Throughout, um, high school and college, I tried therapy a couple of times, but the first and best therapy experience that I've had was in law school. And when that therapist left to go to a different location, I kind of gave up for the time being. I said, um, I'm fixed. I don't really need more therapy, so it's fine. And then of course, a few years later, things, um, pop up again in your life and you start dealing with the same things and you think, oh, wow, maybe I'm not fixed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's funny. We joke in my family, my mom's been going to therapy for six years and she keeps inviting us to go with her. She says, um, you know, we'll call it group counseling. We'll call it family therapy, whatever. But if you come with me, then, you know, it might help our relationship. And my mom lives about three hours away. So we have not made that group session happen. But we used to joke, mom, you need therapy, not us. You know? Right. right. <laughs> and so this year, after having a baby um, in 2018, um, over the past year, I've been through a lot of different transitions. We bought a house. We moved to another town. We had a baby. I changed jobs. Um, and so with all of this transition came more and more anxiety. Should I stop breastfeeding? Should I keep breastfeeding? Should I do solid foods yet? I don't know what he can handle. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. So, um, I started seeing another therapist this year and, um, thankfully, you know, to work through my different anxieties, I have someone to talk with about all the things, you know, personally, professionally, when it comes to um, being a lawyer, unfortunately, we're still living in a man's world. So a lot of times people talk down to you or, you know, coming from an experienced lawyer, they've been doing this for 25 years. So of course they think they know better. And the boss in my previous story had been the boss for 25 years at this particular public defender's office. So when he said, um, do not file the writ, mm -hmm. unfortunately, he was coming from a place of, I know what to do and you don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know better because we have to protect this delicate relationship with the judge. Otherwise, the judge can rule against us all the time and we don't want that. And unfortunately, I've, I've met with that a lot of times in my personal life and professional life where people kind of talk down to you or abuse your relationship. And um, unfortunately, I've been met with sexual harassment in my professional career where I was actually kneeling down to talk to a client in a courtroom 
And um, an older lawyer walked by me and said, oh, a woman on her knees, my favorite thing. Oh, boy. Yikes. Exactly. And so yeah. if you work in an environment with an HR department and it's a coworker that does that, then there might be an avenue for complaints. But when you're a lawyer and he's a lawyer and y'all don't work for the same company, but you work in the same field, there's little to be done other than filing a disciplinary complaint against him, where it's just his word against mine. Um, it was a very frustrating experience. Would you have to file that within the courts? Like how, who would be the entity you'd file that with? Their employer? Actually, the, um, the state has the state. a disciplinary board for lawyers. Okay. So that would be the avenue for that. And um, thankfully, he is at retiring age. I don't have to run across him that often. But I did consult with an employment and labor lawyer to see, you know, if I do encounter this in the future, what can I do about it? And he led me in the right direction. Funny thing, he said, if you can wear a wire or a hidden camera to get evidence, that's the best thing you can do. I said, how terrible. (laughs) <laughs> you know how terrible yeah. that you have to wire yourself up with audio video equipment to get evidence when you're being harassed uh puts yeah the, the burden on youtube yep yep doesn't surprise me i mean ugh, it's terrible to say right but unfortunately yeah, yeah unfortunately yes so what um what have you found to be like what I mean, it's it's usually not one thing. <laughs> like what? What I was gonna say is, what have you found to be the hardest about being a mom? What were you the most unprepared for? You know, lack of sleep or the um, the physical demands of you know just being present and the, a child and just what what has been the hardest thing for you to adjust to? I think the hardest thing for me has been working and being a mom. And I, I don't think I would rather be working than being a mom, but work and working hard and working overtime is all I've known for a very mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. So throughout law school and after, I, I just put 110% into everything. And then I had the baby and realized I cannot give 100% eight to five when my mind is on my baby. And that became quite a struggle for me because I was, I was nursing. And when I was away from him, I would use a breast pump. So I would have to pump breast milk throughout my workday, which had me emotional, you know, because I'm having to take time away from work to make this milk for the baby. And I really need to be working and constantly overwhelmed. So a a lot of times people talk about finding a work-life balance. And, um, I've, I've certainly not gotten an answer to that other than try to focus to the best of your ability whenever you're at work. And, you know, remembering you have this wonderful little angel child to go home to. And that's, um, you know, whenever you're at home, obviously leaving work at work is really hard as an attorney because we have the emotional aspect of, you know, representing this person in criminal court, if I don't do my best, they might go to prison for a long time. Even if I do my best, they might go to prison for a long time. And that's out of my control. So a lot of it is just recognizing what I can control and what I can't. And that helps me sleep at night, you know? How, 
How did you learn to do that? Because I doubt that that's taught in law school. <laughs> oh, certainly not. <laughs> um, thankfully, I've never had trouble going to sleep at night. I, As soon as I lay down, I'm usually asleep within 20 or 30 minutes. So I don't have those running thoughts at night. But I quit bringing files home with me. So whenever I leave the office, whether it's at eight o'clock at night or four in the afternoon, when I leave the office, I don't bring those files with me. So it helps me transition um, away from those thoughts. And I've also listened to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks when I'm in the car driving back and forth. It gets me out of that work frame of mind and into the mom and wife frame of mind. And as you know, managing a toddler when you're at home, you don't have a lot of time to think about other things. Yep. yep. Nope. That's so, what I mean about it takes up so much time and space, right? Like, yeah, there's One. like, yes, there's not, especially at that age that you're at right now, like when you're home, you got to be home. Like you can't have your files out in front of a toddler even like they're going to spill their juice and their milk and their cereal and all that all over it. Like, that's amazing. And I've, I love that you've learned to like set a boundary between work and home, because I think that um, especially in the law field, that that's kind of a badge of honor, right? Is like, like how much can you martyr a little, right? Of course. How how much can you put in? Like how how much can you focus on this? Or is that? Um, and then also, motherhood has kind of the same. You know, both of those areas have. Um, that's what I'm looking for, um, placed value upon going all in and kind That's of getting exactly lost. right. Right. Getting lost to those identities as a lawyer and a mother. So I think it's freaking amazing that you have figured out, you know, and early on in being a mother and I think, you know, early in your, your solo career as a lawyer, I mean, I know you have other experience before that to figure that out. Like, I just want to say like super kudos to you for that. Um, unfortunately, you know, I focus a lot on being a mom and being a wife sometimes gets lost in that. Uh, I know you uh -huh. have experience with that too, because uh -huh. you're, um, married and a parent, but it's, it's a struggle because my husband works with me as well. So we have sometimes at the dinner table conversations about work. Oh, I forgot to tell you to deposit this check or do this, that, or the other at the office. Can you make a note? And, um, so it's definitely a struggle setting those boundaries and remembering not to bring work home in conversation, not just physical files. Yes, yes. And in fact, this is something that um, I, we need to work on tremendously because we uh, are working from home right now. So there's really is no physical like going anywhere. So everything is existing in our home. It's really like I can imagine that's challenging. Yeah, that's challenging. Just recently, my husband we um, secured a location, so my husband's now going and working there. So there's a little bit of it, and then once that opens, it'll it'll be obviously more. We'll be at work, but for yeah, now, wonderful. it's yeah. We moved to a new place, and then we're both working from home. Like, hey, <laughs> let's have together time. <laughs> How funny! Yeah, yeah. And so what? So as you identified that, like. Being a wife, you know, has taken like maybe the the most backseat, correct? Yeah. 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 So how, like, do you schedule, I mean, this sounds so funny, right? Do you schedule dates? <laughs> <laughs> well, right? actually, on our, on our wedding day, my um, best man, who is my husband's brother, actually 
said, date night. That's the most important advice that I've ever gotten. And um, as we've tried over the years, you know, to make it a priority and go on weekly date nights, it's become more challenging as the baby got into a routine of a certain bedtime. We really want to be home to do dinner, bath and bedtime every night with him. When he was a little baby, it was kind of easy to go to a restaurant and he would sleep in the carrier. Um, but now that he's a little bit bigger and we want to keep him on routine to keep him in a good mood throughout the day to make sure he gets enough sleep. Um, it's a little bit more of a struggle, but over the last few months, we've found some wonderful babysitters in our area. And, um, so we've been able to tap into that as a resource so that we can go out and have adult time. Yes. Yes. So speaking of adult time, what's your relationship with drinking? Oh, thank you for asking about yeah. that. Because <laughs> I think this is another big, important, I feel like there's a story here, right? Yes. One of my greatest accomplishments is um, my sobriety. And it's just three years last month. And I'm really proud to say, although it's a temptation every day and every day is a struggle not to drink because I think that's my preferred coping mechanism, mm-hmm. um, I don't. I don't even give it a second thought these days. So, so I um oh go ahead. I would say it probably didn't start that way. How you know how did this come about? Well, um as you can imagine in the legal field a lot of times social drinking becomes um second nature. It's I've had a hard day at work, let's go have a couple of glasses of wine and if you're not a drinker, you really don't have that social outlet. Mhm. That it's so, bonding with other lawyers, correct? Correct. And then it becomes a networking opportunity. That's part of it as well. It's not just, you know, at the end of the day, trying to wind down. It's also fostering that relationship, making sure that your boss wants to keep you employed there because you're so much fun, you yep. know, at the mm-hmm. after hours. Yep. <laughs> um, so at that time, you know, regarding the story where the Mm -hmm. boss told me, do not file the writ. Mm -hmm. It was during that time where I was having those glasses of wine every evening or at every lawyer function, believe it or not, they have an open bar at most lawyer functions. Wow. And, um, all of these lawyers have to drive themselves home. Right. And that's probably not a good plan. So it was a Christmas party in 2016 that, um, I went to and enjoyed myself. And the next morning, my husband said, how did you get home last night? I said, I drove. He said, do you really think you should have done that? And I knew not only is he disappointed in me, but also what did I risk by driving myself home last night when I knew I shouldn't have? I'm risking my marriage. I'm risking my career. I'm risking my safety and the safety of others on the road. And I decided on that day, um, if I can't make good choices after I've had a few drinks, maybe I shouldn't drink. And that's that's the decision that brought me to where I am. Thankfully, I've stuck with it. I mean, I've had a lot of nights where my husband gave me that disappointed look. And I knew at that point, he's not going to stick around if I keep acting like this. Right, right. What's and his, is, is he sober? Yes. Interestingly, he says he quit drinking at 17 years old. Oh. 
<laughs> Got it. <laughs> He's um, from a very different uh, family of origin. He just partied a lot with his brothers, I think, and played cards and drank a lot in high school and said, you know, I'm the same person, just louder and more obnoxious. So I don't really need alcohol to do that. Um, so he'll drink every now and again, have a couple of beers, but I've never seen him intoxicated in our entire relationship. Wow. So you guys, um, separately, y'all had definitely different relationships with drinking. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For a a period of time there. And so all it, I mean, I, I tell this to people, but I like to hear it from others. So all it kind of takes is just saying it to yourself and committing to yourself to kind of make these things happen, right? Is that the experience that you found? Whereas, I mean, sure, there's there's stuff that leads up to it, but I know that there's not really any magic. It's just like, I just don't do that anymore. Is that the experience that's that you've- a, That's a big piece of it. Actually, last year, after I read Girl, Wash Your Face mm-hmm. by Rachel Hollis, I, I wrote in a journal, I don't drink Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. And I haven't drank Diet Coke since. Yeah. And it's a funny thing. It's like, you know, you're capable of doing it. You know, you're putting the drink to your mouth, whether yeah. it's alcohol or Diet Coke, you know, you're capable of not doing that action. It's just deciding not to do it and having the determination to stick to what you're saying you're going to do. Right. And there's not really any the magic, though, to that determination. And that's what I think that's what, you know, there's no, I don't know. <laughs> there's no little trick. I mean, it's really just basically like mind over matter. I feel like of just knowing that you are in charge of your life. You are in charge of your actions. You are in charge of your behaviors. You know, it's, um, I drank to cope for years, you know, I mean, we lived in a small town. Um, the, there was t-shirts from this, um, on the back of it said, said from a liquor store that said it was, um, um, a drinking town with an art problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what the liquor store sold because there's a, that's a big artist community in the town I lived in. And I mean, that was the hobby, you know, and, and it's so obvious and, and there. And I think in this time period in the last you know 15 years has become, especially for women, normalized the drinking to cope, the mommy needs wine, the, all, all that kind of messaging of like, you're the reason I drink. And it's kind of become cliche and funny. And then I think the pendulum is now swinging the other way and people are coming up from, you know, these depths and be like, whoa, wait a second. There's a problem here. You know, we are numbing everything by drinking like this and, you know, having a glass of wine every night, you know, it, sure, you're not getting drunk, but what what is happening? You know, what dependency are you doing? Yeah. And what are you, what are you trying to um, numb? You know, what what's really going on here? So I've, Sorry, I'll stop talking here. <laughs> Your thoughts? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, I have to say, um, wanting to have a family and being a great mom was playing into my decision to not drink at that time. So we had not tried to get pregnant at all at the beginning of our marriage. I knew that I wanted to be in practice for a good while and kind of get my feet under me before I decided to throw a baby into the mix. Because lawyering is hard and it's hard on the marriage and it's hard on the emotions. And so I knew that I needed to um, have some time as a practicing lawyer before I became a parent. 
And after that um, Christmas party and open bar (laughs) fiasco, um, I call it a fiasco. I don't guess it was that that big of a fiasco. I started talking kind of loose lips. I started talking to a judge and I thought the next morning I probably shouldn't be so loose lipped Mm -hmm. around judges. And um, anyways, um, when I decided to stop drinking, I also joined Weight Watchers which I think is um, interesting as well, because when I was at my lowest low, and there were a lot of lows, you know, when you've had a hangover after a really fun night, you know, the next morning is not pretty. Um, But that next morning, I knew um, when I walked into court, my suit was really tight. It was ill-fitting because I was overweight and probably really bloated. And I Mm -hmm. had a coat on. And uh, it was in December. I said, I'll just keep the coat on because it covers up my ill-fitting suit. And I had showered and blow-dried my hair, but it wasn't really styled because I was tired and I didn't feel well. (laughs) I might have put a little bit of makeup on, but I really didn't look my best. And so when I went into court, I didn't feel like the best version of me. I felt like a a caricature of myself, of like a hungover, like trying to be lawyer but barely functioning. And I thought, this cannot be my life, just anything but this. Um, And so I decided to join Weight Watchers because I knew that I needed to be a healthier version of myself, not just for my husband and me, but also for my future child. I knew that I wanted to have a child. And so I was on Weight Watchers for 16 months and I actually hit my lifetime goal weight um, while I was six weeks pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like losing all the weight, being all the healthy, and then we're pregnant and we're gaining it all back. Yep. (laughs) But um, Weight Watchers helped me get to my goal and it became kind of like an AA meeting every week. I went to Weight Watchers and shared with my group about my struggles and how, you know, when you have a couple of glasses of wine, you also make poor choices for your health Mm -hmm. and all of that plays into it. You know, you can be a better wife mom, lawyer, whatever you want to be when you're taking better care of yourself. And so that was my why throughout Weight Watchers. I knew that I needed to be the best mom to my future child. So great. I I have a very similar experience of, of weight loss and sobriety. And well, I'm not, I'm not sober. I still have a, like maybe we live on a lake. And so I like to have like a something out when we're out there. I don't drink beer though, but um, anyway, I, I completely, you know, I, I had that same moment where I said, this can't be my life. In fact, in the episode I recorded of myself, I said that this can't be my life, you know, and I think I just appreciate and I'm so grateful for you sharing this because it's not the easiest stuff to say as, you know, uh, professionals and moms and to to say like, hey, it's not what it seems sometimes and things were really shitty. And let me tell you about it, you know, because I think it it really is so powerful to say these things because there are other women who you know, maybe we can help them before they get to a bottom that, you know, is too hard to climb back from. So I really appreciate you saying that and sharing with oh, everybody of today. Authenticity yes. is, is I, so important. So important. And, you know, that's where, like, everyone will tell you that's where the movement comes from, you know, is like when you're fully owning your story, you know, and fully owning your life and, and even the warts, you know, that's why um, I'm calling this prickly and blooming is like, 
there are flowers, all the cactus up here, but there's also thorns, you know, like there's, we can't, you know, just only focus on flowers. We got to talk about the, the shitty stuff too. <laughs> um, are you still participating? Yes, actually, oh, cool. I, I went back last spring after I had the baby mm -hmm. and then um, I kind of quit for a while because I decided you know, I have a lot of different things going on and I need to put all my energy into one thing mm -hmm. and my, my weekly meetings and my $50 a month or however much it is for Weight Watchers. I was like, I'm going to pause that and come back to it. And I actually rejoined last month. Perfect. Cause that's why I asked about that. I was going to ask like, what, um, what habits have you introduced? Like, do you have new ways to cope? Like, are you, um, are you like into archery or <laughs> You know, you have a bowling league that you uh, are the head of, or I mean, for me, it's yoga. Um, but like, what what have you introduced? You know, we've talked a lot of stuff that you've changed and taken out of your life. What what is in your life to help you cope? And you know, we have we have Weight Watchers. Is there anything else? Yeah, I actually started doing yoga in 2015, and I became somewhat obsessed with it. I would go to every class that they offered, every workshop that they offered, um, and found, you know, my favorite teacher, my favorite studio, and um, loved every bit of it, every bit of it, not just the physical movement, but also the clarity that comes with moving your body in that setting. And um, one time I signed up for a one-on-one -on -one session. And when I got there, I was having a rough day and I just cried and she just talked me through it. And she said, this is yoga too. <gasps> That's and so that special. Was the, that was the best and warmest thing. I'll thank Andy till the day I die because she she was like my therapist, but also my yoga instructor and um, helped introduce me to yoga as a mindset. And when I feel anxious or overwhelmed, I know, you know, that yoga helps with that. For sure. Did you learn meditation from going to yoga? You, yes. You, yeah. And that's part of our Sunday class is yoga and meditation. So she leads us through a guided meditation on Sundays. Um, and that's kind of my favorite class because it's the easier class, the <laughs> right. Monday class, the kind of power flow yoga. Right. It's like really butt, butt kicking. <laughs> yes. How often do you exactly. get, yeah. how often do you get to get to yoga? Like how many times these days, um, <laughs> these days I'm not going near as often. I have actually not been to her class in months. Um, but I try to go on a weekly basis. Um, my husband keeps encouraging me to do it online or do it at home, you know, because getting to a studio or paying for an admission is, um, could be seen as an obstacle or an excuse, but I think I like the community of going to a class. So don't do it at home. Mm -mm. I don't want to do it at home. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, when I started taking yoga, it was 2015. And those were the years that I was a stay at home mom. And I was like, that's how I learned to do something besides go out and drink. And right. since then, you know, my children are all in school now and people are like, well, do yoga at home. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, okay, that's an excuse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can, but I don't want yes, to. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, we work from home, there's dogs, there's just like, I, I can't get in the right mindset produ to produce the results that I want when I'm at home. Like it does have to be me going to a place and being intentional and none of the other distractions are there because it's not just about doing the exercise for me. You know, it's not just about getting the strength. It really is the whole, the what yoga is union. You know, it's all, I want to be able to achieve it all. And at home, I, I can't. And then, I mean, I can, 
but I don't, I, I choose, it. yeah, I choose not I totally to. Get it. <laughs> I think it's so important too, when you think about like in 2015, when I was introduced to yoga and started the practice, how that helped me transition away from, um, drinking and coping in those negative ways. But it's also, you know, important to acknowledge where you are. So I'm not where I want to be with yoga right now. Um, like I imagined I, if I put enough energy into this, I can be a yoga instructor, you know, by a certain time, or I can do that headstand or handstand that I've been dreaming of. Um, but you have to figure out if it's the right season for that. So I'll, my yoga instructor keeps inviting me to the Costa Rica teacher training where, you know, all these tropical vacations for teacher training certification. That sounds great, but that's mm -hmm. not my goal right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, the landscape of my life is definitely different um, depending on what my goals are. Yes, for sure. I am. I, I'm just thinking about like what you just said, like the interdisciplinary. I'm thinking of the interdisciplinary, you know what I'm saying, of you, where it's <laughs> like there's this mom, lawyer, what if you did a yo yoga teacher? Like, I feel like you're very unusual is what I'm trying to get at. Like if for, for Louisiana, are you, you know, in a rural? Like, I, I mean, I know the kind of the size of the town, but is there a city near you? Well, we're about an hour southwest of New Orleans. Okay. So, so like, definitely I, I, party you, central. Yeah. Like, do you have a community like of, I mean, I just think you're such a unique person and I'm like, I, I, I imagine that there's not many like you, like a mindful <laughs> yogi lawyer mom in Louisiana. <laughs> right. That is so funny. Right. I have, um, I've actually connected with a lot of different people in the yoga community, and there are a few lawyers in the yoga community, but definitely yoga in the sense of an exercise program, not yoga in the sense of, you know, community and um, <laughs> and what my mom would consider like the religious part of it. And so I have the yoga community also very supportive and they want to pull me further into it and say, be an instructor, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, I still have to run my life. Right, right. Well, maybe I'm maybe when you're done being fed up being a lawyer, you have that passion project on the back burner, right? That you're like, okay, I'm going to phase out lawyering and phase in my headstands someday. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I told, um, I told my yoga instructor, I do see that in my future, not just because I want to be a yoga teacher, but because I want to share that power that yoga gives you, not just over your physical self, but also your mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I say, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't pushed myself. Did you have, um, well, you said your, your mom is a yoga person. Correct. No, no. My mom calls it the religious part. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay my mom, my mom was my mom was concerned that I was a heathen oh, because I was uh, going to yoga. Oh, okay. Totally opposite. Okay, because I was wondering. What, that's what I was about to say. Is what were your preconceptions about going to yoga before you went? Well, I think I thought it was. Um, I can share. I don't know how to put into words how I thought that it was something that was um, for certain types of people, like the vegans, the clean eating people, the healthy people, I thought that yoga was definitely not for a regular person, but for those hippy dippy people. Mm -hmm. And when I started, 
when I started to get introduced to yoga, very funny, uh, they hosted a yoga class and wine drinking. It was like a wine tasting yoga class. And this was before I stopped drinking. So I was like, oh, they'll give me wine while I do yoga. Fine, I'll try it. And then once I started um, doing it, I kind of fell in love with it. And like I said earlier, became obsessed with it and went to every class they offered. Oh, that's so I shared a story about how my ideas about yoga before I went to yoga were based off that song in like the 80s. You know, if you're not into yoga and you have half a brain, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> And I was like, I let that like give me judgment about yoga because of this pop song. Like, oh goodness. So I I completely understand. Um, and so now, you know, you you have a lot going on. You have, you know, baby, you have your own law practice. I mean, in relation to all of it, is there like ideas you have for your future? You know, do you want to grow your law firm? What what do you do you want to run marathons? You know, what what plans do you have for your life? What are you looking to achieve next after all these amazing things that you, you can count as achievements? Well, thank you so much for asking. I'm actually running for district court judge. Ah, I did not know. And that is, um, you know, we kind of come full circle. Now we started talking about a judge that I didn't agree with and thought he needed to be checked. And um, that's one of the reasons that I want to run for judge, because I think there should be honest people in that position, people that act with um, fairness and equal treatment across all people, all segments of the population, whether they are indigent clients represented by the public defender's office or, you know, wealthy clients that are coming in to maybe get themselves out of whatever situation they found themselves in. I think it's important as a judge also to um, have empathy and listen to people. If you don't take the time to listen, then um, I don't think you're capable of making the right choice. Right. There's, I believe, the word uh, ego <laughs> wrapped up <laughs> somewhere in there. That is incredible. I love Thank you. I love that. I'm so proud of you for that. I love that Thank you um, so much. you're doing the like, put your money where your mouth is, you know, like <laughs> leading by example, right? So you'll have to go through an election and all of that. Yes, the elections November 3rd this year, we've already gotten, you know, the statement of organization for the campaign committee, all the paperwork filed, we're very excited and launched a website last month. So when you say I've got a lot going on, like we're just uh -huh. scratching the surface. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I feel like you're such an example of like when you can get some shit lined up and get, you know, straightened out, like then stuff starts to open up and goals start right. to, you know, be become clear to you and or else you're kind of stuck in like, uh, you know, the, the hamster wheel until you decide to jump off of it. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? so important, you know, thinking about where I was in that position with that boss who wouldn't mm -hmm. let me do what I thought was the right thing at the time. I couldn't afford to quit. I couldn't afford to have kids or start the family that I wanted. I uh, didn't really have time for hobbies or taking care of myself. And um, now I'm living in a place where I am my own boss and I'm in control of my future and the opportunities are endless. Yes. And that makes getting up in the morning and going to work uh, totally different. Right. You're excited. You look forward exactly. to it. Exactly. Yeah. You don't dread it. That's amazing. I love it. And you've figured this out um, 
quite at a young age. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know kind. exactly. I don't know exactly how old you are, but I can tell you're not that old. <laughs> you're very kind. And you know, age is is a number. Like I, I feel like there's a mindset. You know, I feel like you've you've got to this like fluid mindset. You know, at a at a young number age. You know, that takes some of us longer. <laughs> <laughs> not quick learners. So is there anything um, else that you'd like to share? Well, part of my mission um, in running for judge is to become the first elected district court judge that is a female here in Terrebonne Parish. So I think in our conversation, we've talked a little bit about how men kind of dominate the legal field here, especially in the South. Unfortunately, um, we don't have a lot of diversity in not just the profession, but especially in positions of power. So I feel like I bring a different perspective to the position. And if I can get on the bench and bring my perspective, my experience and my abilities, then I can make a difference. Oh, kudos. I love that. And is, okay. Why don't you tell me, um, your um a way people could find you if they wanted to find you if they wanted you have a website you mentioned i think you have a personal one are you going to um continue writing on your personal one or no you want to mention anything of that sort that people could find you of course Uh, you can follow me on social media Teresa king esquire Uh, everyone asks what does esquire mean i promise it's just another word for lawyer and Teresa King Esquire on Facebook and Instagram, as well as um, TeresaKingEsquire.com. The personal website that you mentioned is actually a WordPress blog. Um, so I write about some personal things. My username is T. Perry Nola. I've written about suicide. I've written about uh, therapy, which we talked about, and sobriety. I wrote a blog about the judge that I talked about a little bit earlier. The title is called Bad Judge. Awesome. Hi. So here's Jesse, and that was an abrupt ending to the conversation with Teresa. We had some sort of recording internet technical issue and it cut out. Um, but there wasn't anything really left of the conversation that other than, you know, thanks and goodbyes. And so I'm just cutting in present day to say thank you, Teresa, for giving us your time and good luck on your election. And thanks y'all for listening. And we'll See each other next week. Everything up to this point has led me here, and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense have felt so wrong and out of place now. A story that was meant to be
the picture.